Here come two rebels in military uniforms with big old AK-47s, jumped in the back seat on either side of me where I was sitting, slammed the door, yelled to our team that was driving and said, we're your escorts now, you do exactly as we say, meaning they're going to take us off the convoy, mow us down, raid the vehicle, and then burn it. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Back in October of this year, we first met Carol Ward. Carol is the founder and international director of Favor of God Ministries. It's an indigenous missions movement working in northern Uganda, southern Sudan, maybe other places too. But it was such a blessing, Carol, to have you come sharing the work of the ministry. And you told me, I've got to go to Florida, coming back to the Memphis area. I said, Carol, if any way you could come back to Mid-South Viewpoint, you are welcome. This is like your second home, okay? Anytime. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I take you up on it. <laughs> I enjoyed it so much. Hey, can we yeah. say Merry Christmas? Merry Christmas to everybody listening. <laughs> oh, my goodness, a- And yes. from Africa. Is there a special way that Merry Christmas is said, like in the language of Uganda or Sudan or... Well, we speak so many different languages, and they all have their own, but they use Merry Christmas English. They know it like hallelujah. Okay, (laughs) nice. For those who didn't have the opportunity to meet you on our last interview, just Mm -hmm. a little recap. You are a third-generation missionary, grew up in the Philippines, militant Muslim area where your parents were worked with Wycliffe Bible Translators, a wonderful ministry. Your grandparents spent 30 years in China as medical missionaries in Shanghai. Yes. Growing up in the Philippines, you actually witnessed, Carol, you shared this last time, the oppressed widows, victims of war and suffering. You saw that firsthand. Yes, yes, yes. As well as living in the midst of terrorism, but poverty to the extreme, because we were deep jungles in Mindanao. When you say deep jungles, I mean, you said it was like Tarzan, I think you told me that. (laughs) you remember. (laughs) Swinging on the vines. Yes, into waterfalls. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You know, as a boy, Mm -hmm. I would watch those Tarzan shows. When they were over with on Saturday, I would pretend like the little doormat was my boat, and I would have a little (laughs) table knife, and I'd act like I was swimming around with alligators. And I was an only child, so my imagination was like so big. (laughs) I had to make up all my imaginary friends to play with me. I didn't have brothers or sisters. In 2002, God called you to Uganda. You started there originally with the ministry now called Crew, which some of our friends will know as Campus Crusade for Christ. Another yes. incredible work of God yes. for so many years continues to be yes. also. But it was through that ministry that you went initially to Uganda and you had a prayer that you yes. started praying. Yes. Even before I went, I had prayed, send me where no one wants to go because my heart is the people that are hidden in the jungles and the bush, never heard the name Jesus. And nine out of 10 missionaries goes to places that have either been reached or it's accessible. One out of 10 goes to where it's unreached. And I have such a longing for everybody to hear. We should all have that same longing, right? Once our heart has gone from darkness to light, and we've experienced the transforming power of Jesus Christ, we have to share it. I mean, we we should be, but we get caught up with life and details and our focus so easily gets off. Matter Mm -hmm. of fact, I've been reading Second Peter, and I've been looking at Peter exhorting the church. He talked about supplements to the faith, Mm -hmm. uh, virtue, Mm -hmm. brotherly affection, love. Mm -hmm. Uh, He talked about self-control. He talked about godliness. Mm -hmm. He talked about steadfastness. There was a list of several things that he mentioned. He was so passionate, Mm -hmm. Carol, about these. In that first chapter of Second Peter, he spends talking about it. He says, 
before I leave this earth, because it was just shortly mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. he was to be a martyr for yes. Christ, yes. he said, when I'm gone, I want you to remember these things. I, I know you're living yes. in the truth, but I don't want these things to leave you. Yes. And, and I think sometimes it's easy because there's some that become short-sighted and blind. Yes. They become ineffective and unfruitful. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid I can see in my own life, I have to confess, there's many times I feel like I have been ineffective and unfruitful mm-hmm. for the gospel. Mm. It's beautiful. Something you mentioned, Byron, about those qualities. Most of those qualities involve our relationship with other people. If we live a very isolated, introverted life, we don't have an opportunity to show virtue and brotherly kindness and love and patience with people. And so we need a vision. We need people around us motivating us, unreached people as well as brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's a great point. We have to have the balance there because so often we get one-sided. You know, once we yes. come into the faith, yes. we spend all of our time around other believers. Yes. Something that challenges you is when you're around people that have never, never heard Jesus, hungry people, hungry for the gospel. It's like a, a land of famine. They're starving. That challenges your faith. You have to grow. You have to be on your toes, and it stretches your faith to believe God for their lives and their needs as well as your own. Wow, that is so good. Mm-hmm. You are going to be starting 20 years, I think, yes. this next year, yes. living your home in Uganda. Yes. Since we're in the holiday season, Christmas yes. season, can we kind of reflect back? Do you remember that first Christmas that you spent in Uganda? Yes, I do. It was actually when the war was still going, and there are IDP camps, 2 million people, as much as 35,000 to 75,000 per camp, starving, thirsty, no water, diseases. And all I wanted to do was be in the middle of that camp, walking with people, hugging them and embracing them and just saying, can I tell you about the gift of life? Mm. And so I bought soap, which is very precious to them, sugar and salt, and filled the little back of my Land Cruiser with those three things plus Bibles. And I was setting out to a camp of 45,000 people to distribute, to love, to just enjoy the day with them. And that's where I wanted to be with Christmas. It was probably the worst poverty. UN said it was the worst atrocity they'd seen since Hitler. And as I was setting off to be in the village with them, since then I've been in many village Christmases, but this was during the war and this was in the camps. They stopped me and they said, you're not going. It's the most dangerous time of the year and you won't live through it as far as ambushes on the way. If they see you with a loaded car, you won't make it. And I wrestled with them and argued. I broke my heart. I said, I've lived this whole year. I just want to be with them in in the camp Mm. during the war on Christmas Day. I was there all the rest of the year. But sure enough, on that same road, there was an ambush, the road that I would have been on. And six people were shot. So I didn't get to go. But that was my first Christmas in in northern Uganda. You obviously have spent many Christmases since there. And you've gone to the different villages. Paint a picture of what it's like at Christmas time right now. Well, because they don't put a lot of emphasis on material things, even if they had many, that's not what their focus is. The focus is really on the meaning of Christmas, which is Jesus. So they don't do Christmas trees and all of that because they don't have it. But Christmas is a day where all the family in the village gets together. First of all, they go to church. So any little village church is open. And the best thing they look forward to that day is all going to church together. Then they come back to mama's home, Jaja's home, granny's home, whatever. If they have a chicken, which is the most expensive meat, 
they will slaughter a chicken, and everybody will get a few bites of that chicken. A few bites? Yes. Not a spread out on a table (laughs) with all of the things that we're used to eating. No, no. They'll share a chicken. We enjoy it together with vegetables and potatoes and whatever's come out of their garden. And then we'll sit around the campfire talking and laughing until the sun goes down and then singing and worshiping. And it's just a family day of togetherness, no distractions, children playing in the dirt. I mean, it's just beautiful. The day is set apart belonging to Jesus. And as much as you're celebrating anybody else's birthday in the family, more so his. It's sacred. It's a day of rejoicing. It's families. They'll go to other homes and visit each other in the town and embrace. But it's after the worship service. That's the highlight of the day. (laughs) That's beautiful. What about the ministry mold as you move into the Christmas time? Is it a time to relax for a holiday for you? Are there special ministry outreaches or maybe events that you're involved with at Christmas time through the, your ministry? Well, we do ministry into the uh, schools, and so we make it a special time of celebration. We take footballs. And if we've got any jerseys or or shoes, we'll share them with students. We also minister in prisons. And because prisoners have gone through our leadership training or portable Bible school during the year, the discipleship classes, we've built relationships with them. They can hardly afford food in the prison to feed these guys. I mean, a, a poverty country, and you think if you've got a couple hundred prisoners, they don't eat hardly at all. So we're not talking three meals a day and oh, no, no, no. cable TV. Oh, no, no, no. None right. of that. Right. They're out there working barefoot all day long and eating vegetables and potatoes, probably one or two meals a day, if that. So at Christmas time, after we work with these guys, we bring in some of the local instruments that they like to play, drums and the adong, which is like David's harp. They beg for those. So we bring them in at Christmas and we give them as gifts to the prisoners. We bring in books that they can read, but the greatest celebration is we buy a cow. Buy a cow. We buy a cow, and they get to butcher it, and that one time a year, enjoy meat. Oh, my. Yes. As you start a new year, and you're going to be returning shortly back to Uganda, what will your team do? What will your focus be when you get back? Do you feel like as you have come here and and taken like a breath, just a Mm -hmm. short period, seeking God, that maybe he's giving you some new direction? Yes. While the ministry work goes on, to some extent, House of Prayer stays open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The radio, we're on the air over there, never go off seven days a week, 24 hours a day, preaching Jesus in their language, worship sessions, all kinds of things. But during the Christmas holidays, the better part of our missionary team does go to their villages. They have a couple weeks downtime. They get to go out and farm. They get to go out and plant. They look forward to that. While I take my own prayer retreat on the Nile River where I don't see a face of man. I said, I don't want to see the face of man. I want to see the face of God. I don't want to hear a voice of man. I want to hear the voice of God. And I lock into a little tent, isolated on the Nile River, wake up to giraffes and buffaloes and hippos. That's true. Wandering around. Monkeys come in this tent, steal my, you know, if they see my cell phone or something colorful. But that's my time with the Lord, and I pray over the coming year and what's God's heart and what's God's will, ministering to the Lord. I call it my Mount Sinai time. And how much Uh time do you spend in this retreat? Anywhere from 10 days to three weeks, and I stay totally isolated. I only take my Bible, a notebook, and a hymn book. 
So that's been my mountaintop experience, my R&R, my come away, my beloved, with Jesus. Amen. So I well, love it. Well, I, Carol, you know, it's something about when you're consistent with time alone with God. When you yes. make that a priority, yes. it seems like your spirit starts hungering for that time. I'm ashamed to say I have periods of times where I'm, I've been inconsistent, focused time, yes. setting the alarm, getting up. And recently, before the alarm went off that I had set, I just sensed God speak to my heart, Byron, get up. I want to spend time with you. Yes. To get into the Word, to worship, mm-hmm. and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And, you know, I think that all of us maybe have that dormant in us, but we don't pay attention to the drawing and the wooing of the Spirit, that the Lord's more hungry and longing and missing for our fellowship than we ever think about being for His. And so when I think of Merry Christmas here, I would say to people, Merry Christmas, M-A-R-Y Christmas. Take the time to be a Merry Sit at the feet of Jesus and feast on his words and that intimacy eye to eye, because that's what he's looking for. But most of us have Martha Christmases instead of Merry Christmas. Yeah, we're busy doing the shopping, getting the things ready in the kitchen. Sure. And we miss out on what Jesus had to say directly to the heart of someone who loved him. If we could all have Merry Christmases. Now, when I get back from the Nile River and I meet the staff, we have an immediate time of prayer and fasting together. And we spend seven days as a ministry team doing the same thing, praying and fasting into the new year, coming together. It's like a retreat time. But we do it with the whole 100 or 200 staff. And we call it a Habakkuk 2 time. Stand on your post and see what the Lord is speaking to your heart and then write the vision. Because yesterday's vision may be already finished or accomplished or limited, and it may need to be expanded. Yes. So when each one is listening to the Lord on their post and we get together and share it, to me, that's the greatest Christmas, New Year blessing you could ever have. Yes. Well, as I mentioned, 20 years that you sense God calling you to leave your nursing career. Yes. You had a a very successful business in in, Mm -hmm. in work and in ministry, Mm -hmm. too, helping heroin addicts that came and lived with you, helped them to recover. So 20 years looking back, Mm -hmm. any regrets? None at all. (laughs) Have I made mistakes? Yes. (laughs) And many times been disappointed, but mostly in myself, never in the Lord. Yes. Do you know he's four days late sometimes, Byron, but he's right on time? (laughs) (laughs) Always. No regrets. When you look at the past 20 years, what are some highlights for you? What are some things that you mentioned about how God stretches us? Yes. What are some ways you've seen God stretch Carol Ward the past 20 years? When I listen to the zeal and the faith in the vision of our leaders, our national leaders, and they say, you know, we've covered South Sudan. We're asking God for 10 nations now. I said, where'd you get that from? Well, based on Luke 19, I've been faithful over one city. He said, ask me for 10 or I'll give you 10. So their vision is so huge. And they're such heroes of faith in the spiritual realm. They know no obstacles that I feel like I'm running to keep up with them. And I said, okay, I never, never will I put a damper on your vision. Let's go for it. I'm going to do everything I can to serve it. And we're going to believe God together, combining our faith to meet the need for it. That's, to me, the most exciting thing. They've stretched my faith. They stretched your faith. Yes. I love that. You have stepped into the American lifestyle for the past. How many mm-hmm. months have you been stateside now? Since September. You'll be returning when? End of January. And I know each time you see different things, but what has been your impression 
of what's happening in America today since your last visit in the States? Well, two things. Probably spiritual warfare that we see in Africa, it's out in the open. It's just black and white, in your face, good and evil. There's no gray. In America, it's been very shrouded, very cloaked, very diagnosed or very suppressed. But now it's out in the open. The devil's the same everywhere. He just wears different clothes. (laughs) So we're seeing spiritual warfare at an all-time high that is very, very open. Battle between good and evil. And everything hidden is being revealed and so on and so forth. So that's one thing. And that the church in America is not necessarily prepared to know how to fight spiritual battles because we haven't ever had one on our soil since the Civil War. Whereas in Africa, we're very familiar with battles. So we know spiritual warfare at another level. The second thing in America is a sleeping church and that God is doing a tremendous amount of shaking and waking alerting us to how to fight, how to battle, and the harvest is at hand. Because Proverbs says an unwise son sleeps during harvest. But the third thing is the spirit of fear that has just blanketed this nation. It'd be very easy to have fear in the war zones I live in. And the first verse God met me with is there is no fear in love. Fear has torment. Fear will paralyze you. Fear will keep you from the promises and your inheritance. And there's fear all over America. Fear of the future, fear of this, fear of that, fear of the unknown. There's no fear in love. And the author of fear. It's the enemy. That's a good word there, Carol. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you had the attention of the American church, and I had a microphone, and they were all tuned in to the Carol Ward radio show, (laughs) what would you say? Wake up and learn how to fight. Because your Lord, the commander of the army of the hosts of heaven, is a man of war. And we've known him as a shepherd and a provider and a healer and many other things. But we haven't known how to battle. And he's given us weapons. He's given us armor. He's given us seated with him in heavenly places. He's promised us victory, keys to the kingdom. Makes it very clear through the word that we're in a spiritual battle and it's not against flesh and blood. And sometimes we get our focus on the wrong enemy. It's not people. It's not flesh and blood. And our weapons are not carnal. temporal and, and carnal. Is right. Yeah. You know, they're powerful. Yes. You said something I wrote down because it spoke to me. If we want what we've never had, we have to do what we've never done. That's right. And if we want to see what we've never seen, we've got to be willing to go where we've never gone in God. Yes. Because if we keep doing the same thing, we're going to keep getting the same results. And we're never going to grow. The only way to grow in faith is to get out of the boat and be willing to be stretched. And that's the part we don't like. That's right. That's right. Because <laughs> it's unknown. Yes. And, and it doesn't give us something solid sometimes we feel like or stable. Water's not real solid, but the Word of God's solid. So Peter got out on the Word. I was just thinking he walked on not so much the water, but he yes. walked on the Word. Yes. That helped him to walk on the water. Yes. And it's obedience. Everything is obedience. If we'll be willing to take another step and another step and another step. For example, when we gave Bibles for the first time in Uganda, and they hadn't had Bibles in 20 years, they flocked on bicycles three hours through bullets because they said, we heard you had Bibles. We heard you had Bibles. And I said, Lord, I only have two boxes. How am I going to get this to two million people in camps? And he said, give a few in every direction. So this is what I did when we gave them. I taught them how to study it, how to read it, and how to apply it. And then I said, come back and tell me what you did with it. You got to do something with the Word of God you've never done before, and I'll give you a Bible. 
And they promised. So I said, you can go door to door. You can have a class around the campfire. You can have a Sunday school class. You can go witnessing. You can publicly read it for those who can't read. But come back with the testimonies, and I'll give you five more. They did. And you know what happened? They turned villages upside down. They watched God heal malaria and open blind eyes just because they sat there and read the word. And our team was shocked. How can that happen? I said, why should we be surprised? Doesn't he say the word is the power of God unto salvation? Their lives were changed because they took it seriously. Let me go do something I've never done before. And look what God did in their lives. Oh, my Carol. (laughs) What an indictment Mm -hmm. to me. I also heard you tell this story about a convoy that was carrying Bibles, I believe, into Sudan, and the motorcade ran into a roadblock. When did that happen? Uh, This was probably two years ago. Yes. So there was a convoy stopped ahead. Um, It wasn't as much a roadblock as they were changing out soldiers in the lead vehicle. What were you doing and where were you going? I was in our Land Cruiser with a team and on our way to Juba to take beans and rice and Bibles and everything to our pastoral team in Juba that were hungry. So when the convoy was stopped, this is in the newspaper every day, but I never thought it would happen to us. Here come two rebels in military uniforms with big old AK-47s, jumped in the back seat on either side of me where I was sitting, slammed the door yelled to our team that was driving and said, we're your escorts now, you do exactly as we say, meaning they're going to take us off the convoy, mow us down, raid the vehicle, and then burn it. And this is typical, and it's in the papers almost every day. But I didn't think it would ever happen to us. So when they did, the first thing I did is pray real fast. We depend on the voice of God. I always carry Bibles in the back. I grabbed one of those Bibles, turned around real fast because this guy on the left was already pulling out his string of bullets from his pocket, rolling them around in his hand. He had his AK-47 between his knees and a pistol on his lap, and I knew exactly their intentions. Got that Bible, and as loud as I could, as excited as I could, I said, Hey, guys, I'm so glad you're in the car with us. I said, Have you ever seen one of these? And I waved it in his face, and I said, Have you seen one of these? And I said, What's your name? And he said, Jacob a joke, because they usually have kind of a Western name plus a Dinka name. I said, Jacob. I said, Jacob, can you believe how famous you are? You're in this book. And I said, let me show you. Can you read? Opened it up to Genesis, showed him his name there. And he just was a little bit taken back because he could recognize it. A little bit of broken English. And I said, let me tell you who Jacob was. Let me tell you about his father. Let me tell you about his grandfather. Let me tell you about his great-grandson. Because Jesus came from here. You know who Jesus was? I went from Genesis to Revelation at that tone of voice, with that enthusiasm, as fast as I could talk, nonstop, for three and a half hours. Three and a half hours? Yes. That's why I say you better know the word. So (laughs) when I got to First John, once in a while, he'd stop and ask me a few questions. Obviously, he forgot about everything he came to do. And David, the driver, I noticed, had pulled us right back online, and he was in the convoy. So he kept going, and I kept these guys totally distracted but with the word. When I got to First John and I talked about walking in love as your brother's in love and you can't be in the darkness or that's hatred. You have to be in the light. And he looked at me and he kind of snapped to reality a bit. And he goes, I think that's what our country needs, isn't it? I said, Jacob, I said, that's why I'm here. It's exactly what we need. Mm. And he looked at me a minute and he said, why are you here? I was going to kill you. You know that? 
I said, yes, Jacob, I know. Mm -hmm. But I came to tell you this message Mm -hmm. because it's going to change your life and change your nation. And then he said, will you come to my village and tell that message? They're the worst killing village in South Sudan. And I said, what's the name of your village? I wrote it down. And then before we reached Juba, Jacob prayed to ask Jesus in his heart. And so did this man on the right. I can't remember his name. He agreed in the prayer. As we stopped the car, I took that Bible and I said, Jacob, I'm going to give this to you. Got one for the other gentleman too, the other soldier. He grabbed it from my hand and he held it, clung to it against his chest. And he had tears in his eyes. He said, you're giving this to me? I said, yes, Jacob, on one condition. Again, we go back to do what you've never done to get what you've never had. And I said, Jacob, on one condition, you find somebody that can read this to you every day until you learn to read or you read it yourself. And then you have to tell somebody about what you read every day. And then you have to pray and put it into practice. I told him about all those things too. But I said, the main thing is tell somebody. He looked at me. He said, I promise. I promise I'll do it. I said, you know what that makes you, Jacob? A missionary. (laughs) He got so excited. I said, I'm a missionary. But I said, now you're a missionary. He was thrilled. Oh my! And I got his name and number in his village. And today, Byron, we are doing portable Bible school discipleship. In Jacob's Village, too. In Jacob's Village. Praise God. Yes. Praise God, 70 other villages all over South Sudan, but his, too. If those listening today felt led to send a gift to the ministry, support the work that you do, what should they do? Favor International is our website, F-A-V-O-R-I-N-T-L. So it's international abbreviated, F-A-V-O-R-I-N-T-L dot org. Beautiful pictures, stories, much more about the ministry on the website. You can give on the website through PayPal, protected. And there's also our physical address in Bradenton, Florida. And we are ECFA certified, and you'll get receipts and all of that, too. Carol, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for coming back to the program. What's that website one more time? F-A-V-O-R-I-N-T-L dot org. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.